welcome to another moment with Eric Fleming. I am your podcast host, Eric Fleming. And uh, Dallas, Texas, we got a problem. Now, I kind of teased you last podcast because I was supposed to be talking about this pastor in Dallas. Um, But something else happened in Dallas that uh, I think should cause more concern. And, um, you know, I I could be wrong. I've been wrong before, but I don't think so. I think what is happening, and the sad thing about it, is that uh, us is, is involved in doing the crazy work. Right? So, there was this brother named Botham John. B-O-T-H-A-M-J-E-A-N. Now, he was in his apartment minding those business. Why the door was open or ajar, don't know. Because Mr. John is no longer with us because his door was open somebody came in. A 30-year-old white woman at the time she was 30. She came in and uh, and uh, she ended up thinking she was at her apartment which was a whole nother floor above Mr. John's apartment. Right. Her name is Amber Geiger. She's a member, or she was a member at that time, of the Dallas Police Department. Now, Ms. Geiger, who's a white woman, her defense, I mentioned she was a white woman, and her defense, and a police officer. So when she came into Mr. John's apartment thinking it was hers, when she saw Mr. John, she drew her weapon and shot and killed him. No questions, just reaction. So According to the 911 call, she she called to let uh, people know that she had screwed up and killed somebody. And, uh, you know, it was a, it was, it was a foobar moment, right? Because this woman had killed this man. man was minding his own business in his own place and a woman who's supposed to be protecting and serving people even though she was off duty she uh, she killed him and she's trying to say that she was tired because she had worked like a 13 hour shift 
So you've been distracted. Oh, now you. And she stayed on the third floor of the apartment. He stayed on the second floor. Okay. So. I, I don't know if she was. She took the steps. She was that tired. She took the elevator. You know. And, I, and I've got to go through what we call recreation all together. But based on what I gather, she got off on the wrong floor. I'm, I, from what I understand, she got off the elevator wrong Because she was that distracted. She was that distracted that she pushed two instead of three. All this stuff. Right? And nothing. Not the rug for the carpet for the apartment of Mr. John and nothing triggered her because it's like it would seem like right when you open a door you see a door ajar and you think it's your place right instinctively you're looking for any clues of where this person might be. You're going to try to ease the door as much as you can, hoping that the person's not behind, but you're going to look on the floor. Because what you're hoping to look on the floor is maybe a shadow. Now, even if it's dark, you still instinctively do that because you might see something, whatever, movement or whatever. At that point that she looked down on the floor, she should have realized she wasn't in the right apartment because the carpet didn't match right so that little theory about being I don't care if you are not if you are not drunk you're just tired you you still would notice certain things about your place you knew how to get to your apartment right because if you were that tired that disoriented you would have gone to another apartment complex you wouldn't have gone to your exact apartment you wouldn't have gone where the elevator was if you were that disoriented. You understand what I'm saying? So this woman walked into somebody else's apartment and killed him, thinking it was her apartment. That's the story she's telling. Somehow to me, that's not really jiving. I, I just always had the assumption and it hasn't been proven, and maybe there was no evidence of that. But it seemed like, to me, she was familiar with this dude. As the old folks say in a biblical sense. But since that theory's never been proven, not even as the trial has started, I guess that wasn't it. But it's just mighty odd to me that this chick would mistake this dude's apartment Mr. John's apartment for her because it had to be the same amount of paces from the elevator you understand what I'm saying it was like for her to think it was her apartment there were some things that even in her tired state she picked up on like how far it is from her door to the elevator door for her to make that mistake and I guess these apartments don't have numbers on them. Because, I mean, I've been to apartments. I've delivered pizzas. You know, I've delivered food. 
<laughs> I know some of these apartments don't have apartment numbers. It's inconvenient. You know? But, she killed this guy. So the question is, since she was indicted by the district attorney's office in that county in Dallas, I forget, I want to say Dallas County, but that would be too obvious. I, I forget now. i got to remember all that stuff. But anyway, the, the district attorney got the grand jury to indict him, right? So now the trial is happening. And the jury has been instructed to um, either convictor of murder, convictor of manslaughter, or to acquit her altogether. Right? Which, you know, there's nothing amazing about that, except also part of the judge's instruction was to let the jury know that the castle doctrine some folks are familiar with the term stand your ground can be applied because of some nuance in Texas law called mistake of mistake of fact okay so what that means what in layman's terms what's that what that is saying is that because she made a mistake that she thought she was at her place, right? Then she can use that as part of her defense to apply stand your ground. Because since she thought it was her place, she felt that she had to protect it. And she took the steps to protect it. Okay? It's an interesting nuance. Did I mention that Amber Geiger, the woman who pulled the trigger, is white? Right? And Mr. Botham Jean, the brother that got killed in his own apartment, was black. So naturally, you would think, based on the, the legal gymnastics that this judge is pulling, you would think the judge was a Caucasian too. No, sir, you would be wrong. You would be dead wrong. The judge's name is Tammy Kemp. Yes, yeah, she's a district judge, so she can be elected or unelected. People in Dallas. And uh, she's a member of Delta Sigma Theta. Now, I'm not trying to throw Delta Sigma Theta under the bus, especially after the sister... The, the Delta in the, in, in the Atlanta metro area that sprayed gasoline on a guy that was trying to steal a car. And the only reason why you knew is she had 1913 on her plate, right? That was kind of a dead giveaway for those who understand. And so, you know, I, I ain't got nothing personal against the Deltas, but it's relevant. It's relevant in this story because the, the police chief in Dallas is also a member of Delta Sigma Theta. The police chief who's trying to determine whether this officer should be reinstated or not. The police chief who's 
been a part of Benevolent Association that's putting up the money for this woman who killed this man in his own apartment to keep her out of jail. The same Benevolent Association that endorsed the judge who's trying the case and came up with this legal gymnastics where the judge granted mistake of fact to be entered in so that stand your ground could be entered in. Which now, because it stand your ground is in play, that makes it even harder for the prosecutor. Because in a prosecution in a criminal case, you have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt to a jury of the defendant's peers that they committed that crime and they should be convicted. Now you throw in stand your ground. Now you throw in the castle doctrine and that makes it even tougher because now besides dealing with beyond a reasonable doubt you got to deal with benefit of the doubt. So now the jury really has to buy into the fact that she possibly just made an honest mistake. Which gives her a higher probability, as my ESPN friends would use in the thing, of getting acquitted. I wonder if we could do that, kind of do that kind of calculation, right? But what's, what's the probability of her being acquitted now that this has been put in? Now, I, I have not gone to law school. Right? I could have. I got accepted, but I didn't go. Right? For tragic circumstances. Right? But I've been black 54 years. And I don't know how old Tammy Kemp is, but she's been black all that time, I believe. And sometimes we black folks get too smart for britches. know we get we get we get too caught up in certain things now the fact that that's being used right you know it's like that's one of them don't hate the player hate the game kind of things right I feel young I do I, I get that because I don't know if the lawyer issued a motion. Based on the way the story has been chronicled, the lawyer didn't offer that on the defense. The judge made that of her own. Now, if the lawyer had made the motion, right, to include it based on the Texas law of mistake of fact, and Judge Kemp looked at it and said, yeah, I'm going to have to play it that way since they brought it up, right? Okay. You know, they did what they were supposed to do. And, you know, you being officer of the court, like the presiding officer of the court, you went along with that, to be fair. Okay? You get that. 
But if the defense didn't bring it up and you did that, Judge Kemp, my question is, why? Why? And because I get that Miss Geiger needs to have a fair trial, and based on everything, since the Benevolent Association is paying for her defense, and that she's in a courtroom, and it was within a year that the trial started, I think she's been accommodated enough. She doesn't need the judge to be her assistant defense attorney. Especially where it's a where there's some racial implications involved. Because here's the question I need to ask. If this was a black police officer that killed a white woman in her house mistaking her for being an intruder. Would he have gotten away with it? Would that defense have come up? Either by his attorney or by Judge Kim? Will we be having this conversation? I don't have a lot of faith that we would. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe Judge Kemp is one of those people that say, hey, let's let's test this theory out. Let's 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 rule on this case. Maybe, you know. I don't know. All I know is is that if this white woman gets away with killing this black man in his house, it's more than just It's more than just opening Pandora's box. It's basically just ripping the lid off of it and throwing it in the trash for all infinity so it'll never be found. White people that wear badges will then be able to walk into places and kill people? At least in Texas. For sure. And you say Fleming, that's that's inflammatory, that's racial, that's not what's the stopper? <laughs> what is the stopper? Look at the environment we are in. There is a pastor in that same town advocating that if Donald Trump is booted out of office by impeachment, that they ought to go to war about that. They want a civil war. A Baptist church, one of the largest churches in the same city where this trial is happening. Now some people are like, I don't see the correlation. Okay. You don't have to. But that's why you got people like me. <laughs> because I do. I do see the correlation in a city that is already racially charged. Because remember now, this is also one of those cities during 
the whole um, Black Lives Matter awareness movement, right? When they came to Providence, this was one of the cities where police officers died. So let's be real about this, right? Two police officers died. Black man killed him. Right? So now... We're in a situation where now a white woman kills a black man. An innocent black man. And a black judge who is supported by the police organization um, throws in this wrinkle that basically can allow this woman to get away with killing. And y'all don't think that's going to open up a Pandora's box? You don't think that's going to cause any kind of legal dilemmas? I think it's just, I think just that alone that this black woman has made it very dangerous to be a black person in the state of Texas just by even offering that instruction. And I'm going to tell you why this really, really bothers me besides the, the implications. It's because in Mississippi, when we passed the Castle Doctrine, I was one of the co-sponsors of that. So if there's anybody that knows how that law is supposed to be applied, I'm one of those people. Because I put my name on legislation to deal with that. So, we're going to finish up talking about this castle doctrine based on my knowledge. <laughs> on the other side. Or maybe not. <laughs> yeah, we'll, ca we'll catch y'all on the other side of that. So we're back, and um, let me just close that out, dealing with this Castle Doctrine. Castle Doctrine is designed for you as a person that owns property, whether it's a home or a car, to be able to defend yourself without having to retreat, right? You always have an option to run away when you think something's getting ready to happen, right? But in the old self-defense language, that was a requirement that you had to run away. That was like understood that if, if you wanted to have self-defense applied, you had to have proven that you could not run away at all, that you could not get away from the situation, that you had to confront it. 
with the castle doctrine, it is now set up where you can be preemptive, right? You don't have to run away. You can actually run to the fight if you think that your car or your personal or your property or your personal being is going to be damaged or hurt in your case if you if you think you're going to die right you can defend yourself you can be preemptive in defending yourself right if you see people on your ring doorbell coming to your door and you are in the house and they look like they're, they're up to no good. You have the right at that point to use force to protect yourself. Whether they're armed or not. You have that right. If you see them approaching your car, whether you are in the car or you're in the house, you have that right. Because statistics are showing that most robberies are armed robberies. And we have seen too many scenarios where people are broken into houses and folks say, take what you want, and they take people's lives as well as their property. Now, I don't know why people have gotten to be that cruel, but it created an atmosphere where people in my community, in my legislative district, which is overwhelmingly black, well, I say overwhelmingly, at least 65% black, basically challenged me and said, not only do you need to support it, but you need to sponsor that because there was no black sponsor in the bill at that point. And so I did. Like I've told you before, I'm, I am an advocate of the second, second Amendment. I'm not a zealot of the Second Amendment, right? Because I do believe with great power comes great responsibility. Spider-Man was right. Stan Lee whoever you want to give credit to. They're right. And so, when a person has the right to protect what is theirs, their life, their prop, and their property, they have that right. And I don't, and I don't have any problem with that. But if your name is George Zimmerman or Amber Geiger, you don't fall into that category. Right? Because in Florida, they said George Zimmerman was standing his ground. What ground? He was a security guard. Kind of, sort of, maybe. And instead of asking a question, he wanted to kill a black man. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to kill a black man that night. For whatever reason. 
and based on his brother's comments, it's been a secret desire of theirs for a long time. I think his brother is actually jealous that he got to do it and he didn't. Yeah, George got to do it, but the brother didn't. That's how much contempt I have for their family. But in Florida, they said he was standing his ground when he attacked Trayvon Martin. He attacked him. Trayvon was minding his own business, coming back from a store, trying to get back from to see, hang out with his dad, trying to get back to hang out with his dad to see the second half of the All-Star basketball game. Right? He was he was watching the basketball game with his dad at his dad's place. The Zimmerman dude attacked him, followed him, jumped him. And the only thing Trayvon had was his fist. And George Zimmerman was such a sorry individual that a 16-year-old boy was beating the crap out of him, so he shot him. grown man that called himself wanting to be in the police academy shot a 16 year old unarmed because he was getting his ass whooped by him. so now we fast forward to Dallas September 2018 white woman so tired it worked a 13 hour shift working in the police department so tired so disillusioned that Magically, she made it to her apartment, but she forgot what floor she lived on. And I guess all the apartments look alike, so she sees a door ajar thinking it's her apartment. She goes in, she sees a black man who lives in the apartment and killed him. No questions asked, nothing. If you had done like this sorry police officer in Atlanta, and pulled a gun on an eight-year-old man and either issued commands or asked a question. Yeah, you probably get fired or you should get fired, but at least everybody's still alive because you opened your mouth when you had your gun and asked some questions or made some explanations, right? So the worst thing that's gonna happen is you scared the hell out of an eight-year-old man and you're gonna get fired, but nobody died. If Amber Geiger had opened her damn mouth, That man would have been alive. But she saw a black man and she killed him with no questions asked. That's a mindset. Now you got jack shit to do with being tired. Now you got jack shit to do with following, you know, you know, call yourself patrolling a neighborhood, right? Those things are connected. It's the, it's the symptom of American institutional racism. It is a byproduct of something that has been so socialized in our culture that a black judge thinks it's okay to make it easier for a white woman to kill a black man. And not think that you did anything wrong by that.
and you misapplied the law. But now you're going to create a new president because of that. You combine that mistake of fact with stand your ground to legitimize this white woman killing this black man. I don't know the breakdown of the district, how they run judges in, in Dallas, but you had a brother who ran for governor of the state of Florida volunteering to come to Dallas and campaign against this black woman. That's how bad it is. That's how bad it was. Now, because of who he is and what he did, and I'm sure them sisters of Delta Sigma Theta are gonna step up and defend this sister, and the police chief for that matter. And there's some conversations that need to be held before, I mean, you know, either, I guess after the trial at this particular point, because you really can't do anything about it now, except pray that the jury puts that woman in jail for manslaughter. And, I, and, and you know, I, I, I think, since I think black lives matter and I'm a black person, I think anytime a white person kills a black person, they should go to jail for life. I think 400 years of subject, subjugation gives us that right where at least we can make the argument that a black life, because of all of that that has been done to black people, that when somebody takes a black life out, whether it's a black person, white person, or any other person on this planet, if you take out an African American, that should automatically be a life sentence for you. Automatically. No questions asked. That's just me though. Because I'm I'm one of these guys that's like, just be glad that God ain't fair, because if he was, that would happen. You know? That would happen. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's terrible that the doctrine is being used in that way. Because it really is a legitimate way for people, especially in neighborhoods that are crime infested. I ain't talking about these lily white neighborhoods where one or two break-ins happen and all of a sudden it's an epidemic, right? You know what I'm saying? I'm talking about where these folks, people that work every day, they get something, and then these thugs come in, they are Pookie and Ray Ray, the neighbor's grandkids or whatever, and they take it from them. Or they try to terrorize that very neighborhood that these people are trying to raise their kids in and live their life, right? If, if they understood that those people now have the legal right to take them out as a threat, to that neighborhood to be to basically prevent that kind of terrorism going on in that neighborhood. 
but because there's such a mistrust of the law, right? That even though the law exists now, people don't utilize it. They still try to show some kind of compassion. They still don't, or they still have this code where they don't want to snitch on it. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, all that stuff is still going on. And that really doesn't make any sense. Because if you do something to me or mine, I'm, I'm telling everybody. Because I want to see you go to jail for that. I want to see you go to jail for that. I don't want you walking around for because you did something to me or mine. See, because since you don't have respect for other people, right? You don't have respect for my life, you don't have respect for my property, then you need to be put in a situation where you understand, you learn how to respect other people. I don't necessarily need you to learn a skill. I don't need you to necessarily learn a trade. I don't need for you necessarily to you know, get a job, I need you to learn how to respect other people. Respect their life. Because if you kill somebody, or you rape somebody, you're not you're not getting out. You're not getting a second chance on that. Right? But hopefully you will be obligated to teach younger people, say this ain't this ain't how you wanna go, Shorty. This ain't how you wanna go, blood. Bruh. This ain't, this ain't how you wanna go, cuz. This ain't, this ain't the path. Nephew, don't be like me. Those are the conversations that you, if you did something, you were convicted of it, that's what you need to, when you wanna show that you are rehabbing, that you understand, that's what you need to be doing, right? But here's the catch, if, White women can walk into people's houses and shoot and kill them, right? Hmm. Who am I to condemn black people for just shooting black people, right? I mean, that law would apply if it was a white, a black woman who was a police officer. Maybe even your soror judge. Walk, drug, walks in and goes to the wrong apartment and shoots a black man. Mistake of fact. State your ground. But let's test it. Let's test it. Let's let's reverse the scenario. Let a black man mistakenly think that he's in his apartment. And he shoots somebody white. White man, white woman, don't matter. White cat, it don't matter. It's gotta be white. And let's see if the president that was set in this case applies in that one. If I'm an attorney in Texas, I'm gonna have that on standby. Just like my boy Isaac Bird when when Goldman Fred Goldman sued for his son for $20 million. And he won the case. Right? My boy said if his life, he was a waiter. 
if his life is worth his life expectancy, he was supposed to make twenty million dollars being a waiter. That every black man, every black wrongful death suit that I will file from this point forward, twenty million is the is the asking price at the minimum. You set a president. You know, you yeah, you know, white folks are bad about this jealous, this revenge and and this vengeance thing. They really want to stick it to somebody. All the movies. I mean, and, and that's part of American culture now. All of us like to see the bad guy get it, right? You screw over somebody, you hurt somebody. You want to see them get taken out, blown up in the movie. You want to see Rambo. You want to see term, you know, Schwarzenegger, and you know whoever. Wesley Snipes, don't matter. You want to see, you want to see the bad guy get beat. You want to see the bad guy go to jail. You want to see the bad guy get. Even Denzel, right? You want to see the bad guy get. Whether it is Denzel or Denzel's the good guy, you you he don't matter. He just want to see the bad guy killed at the end of the movie, right? You know, so I mean, but we. We, we adopt that. You know, we, we, we're all into that. And that's not what this Castle Doctrine is about. The Castle Doctrine is not about vengeance. It's about protecting yourself. Avoiding a scenario. I, I just want to know what would have happened if the shoe was on the other foot and Amber Geiger strolls into both of Jean's apart John's apartment and both of John blows her away. What would have happened? How would this trial be perceived? Oh, she was a Dallas police officer. Oh, and this is just a tragedy. Oh, and these black people. The NRA might even be for gun control if that had happened. They weren't gonna come to his defense. They weren't gonna show up. They weren't gonna provide no attorneys. I guarantee you that. But that's how the Castle Doctrine was supposed to be applied. Here's a white woman come in. He sees that she has a gun. He doesn't know who she is. So him asking questions, he blows her away. What would have happened? At least Judge Kemp wouldn't have had to do the mistake of fact gymnastics because that was classic Sandra Ground. White woman came in his apartment. Well, it was a mistake. She was distracted. Yeah, okay. But here's a white woman walking into this man's house with a gun. Drawn or not, he saw it, and he took her out. What would them folks in Dallas be thinking? What would they be thinking? What would Robert Jeffries be preaching at the First Baptist Church in Dallas? If he thinks that a civil war should happen because a white man that he supports is impeached by, and let's be honest, a majority of white people, <laughs> because no matter what you say about the Democrats or the Republicans or the U.S. Congress, House, Senate, it's still a majority of white people because we're still in America. 
So because these white people impeached his white nationalist president, he wants to encourage people in his congregation and throughout the world, well, throughout the United States, that think like him to go to war. He's saying it's okay. Him being a minister, it's implying that God, God said it's okay. Like it's a crusade. Onward Christian soldiers. Right? All this stuff is tied in. And I just hate that the system has put it, made herself complicit in this. It's all tied in. And you can make the argument, it's like, well, Eric, you're saying you're against American institutional racism, but you're sounding racist because you're being pro-black. You can call it wherever you want to. The pro-black part is right. Because if I ain't, I'm black. So if I ain't pro-black, that means I ain't pro-me. That means I don't give a damn about myself. And that's insane. I do give a damn about myself. I do give a damn about my family. Because they're black people too. I got some white folks in my family. But nonetheless... I care about my family. So yeah, I care about black people. I'm pro-black. All day, every day. I will never denounce that. But just because I'm pro-black doesn't mean that I'm racist. Why? Because I'm not in a position of power to make it beneficial to me. Whereas I make all the money. Whereas my kids will definitely get to go to the schools they want to go to. Where I can build businesses and own banks and all that. I I don't have that power to do that. All I got the power to do is to be pro-black and like black people and love black people and defend black people and fight for black people. That's the only power I got. I ain't got the power to manipulate capitalistic markets. I ain't got the power to manipulate whole institutions of government. I don't have the power to flip a law. I did have a power at a brief time, part of a collective, to create laws. I was part of a collective that did open a bank, a black-owned bank. I've been part of a collective to do positive things, to enhance black institutions of higher learning and to support black organizations that look out for the civil rights and well-being of black people in all factors of life. But to change policies where well let's put it this way I don't have the power to enslave white people. I don't have the power to create the white version of Jim Crow laws. Right? or white coats. I don't have that power. If I did, then I'd be the ultimate racist, right? And then American institutional racism would have totally flipped. That would be reverse racism, right? But me being able to go to a black college, a white college, a predominantly white institution, 
because they decided to create a quota of how many black people they wanted to attend the college, right? That's not reverse racism. That's, that's a policy that those schools institute because they wanted to give more opportunities to people other than white folks. You ended up on the short bus. Okay. You didn't make it in, white guy. Okay. I'm sorry. You know, that's why I ain't, you know, I mean, I, there's so much I can get into. You know, this whole concept about participation trophies. That's white privilege. The whole com uh, conversation about getting rid of dodgeball <laughs> in gym. That's white privilege. Everybody has to feel accepted. Everybody has to be a winner. No, not everybody has to be a winner. Everybody has to, needs to have an opportunity to win in a fair environment. Right? That's why in sports, you have referees and umpires. Because if you didn't, people could cheat and win. Sometimes we accuse the officials of cheating, but and some have. Right? most of the time, it's really just they're human and they make mistakes. Nonetheless. If the rules don't apply to everybody, then there really aren't any rules. If the laws don't apply to everybody, then there really aren't any laws. There are conditions. Terms that people manipulate to their advantage, but it's not law. Because it was law, then that means it's beneficial to everybody. It means it's fair to everybody. Right. So, I got my thing in on Jeffries, kind of, sort of, because. You know, he's he's an evil dude. And he's wearing a cloth. And people that go to that church, God is not with you. God is not with you. Whatever is happening in your life, as long as that demon is preaching to you, God's not doing that for you. God may be protecting your foolishness. Right? God may be protecting your innocent children, but if you believe that guy is a man of God, then God's not with you. I'm telling you. You can argue with me all you want to, but all, I, all you gotta do is read the book. Pick up the book for yourself. Right? Don't go by how he interprets the book, because if he's encouraging people to kill each other over a man, then he's not of God. He is not of God. So, however many members you got at the First Baptist Church of Dallas, that's great. Y'all wasting y'all time. I have been to churches. I've been to black churches where I knew God was not present. And they weren't talking none of this crazy stuff that Jeffries was doing. But they, can you imagine sitting in a church and never hearing the word of God, 
never hearing any scripture being read from the Bible? I've been to those kinds. And I never went back. But what's even worse, because Satan knows the Bible backwards and forwards. Right? But what, what's even worse is that people fall in line with a guy who claims to be a man of God and he's leading them straight to hell. Right here on earth. Never mind the place where Jesus talked about where there'll be national teeth fire and brimstone. Never mind that. Man, it is what it is. And uh, I put these limits on my own time so that, you know, we won't you know, I will soon go on and on, but Not only does Dallas have a problem, America we got a problem. And I've said it before and I'll say it again, if we don't end American institutional racism, we'll never fix it. Until next time. for listening to the podcast A Moment with Eric Fleming. If you are not a subscriber, please go to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify and subscribe now. We would love to have you join the A Moment with Eric Fleming family. <laughs>